This is The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. David is the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona. God has gone out of his way to reveal himself to all of mankind. He didn't send another representative like the prophets. He didn't send a shadow or a form. He didn't take the Logos and come and bring it upon an existing man or take over or fill a man. No, the Word, the Logos, came in human form. He developed in the womb of his mother Mary, Jesus, the physical revelation of Almighty God. At Christmas time, we spend a lot of time picking out the perfect gift for the ones we care for. It's purchased, wrapped, and placed under the tree, waiting to be opened by those we love. Would it be crazy if they handed it back to us saying they would open it later? We know it's something they really need, and by now so do they. Well, this is what's happening with God's gift. At this point, it has nothing to do with knowledge or faith, but instead allowing hearts to be changed by the reality of truth in the gift. Now, here's Pastor David in the book of Exodus, chapter 33, verse 9, with our continuing study entitled, Five Building Blocks of Advent. In Exodus chapter 33, beginning in verse 9, we read these words. It came to pass when Moses entered the tabernacle that the pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle, and the Lord talked with Moses. Okay, now, was it the cloud? No. The cloud was actually blocking the way of the rest of the people to enter. Moses is in the tabernacle communing with God. The pillar of cloud is there at the entrance of the tabernacle. He goes on to say, All the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the tabernacle door, and all the people rose and worshipped, each man in his tent door. And then verse 11, So the Lord, Jehovah, spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. God revealed himself in a way that Moses could see him face to face as a friend would speak. Then there was the time that Moses was up on Mount Sinai. Okay, actually, the two times that Moses was on Mount Sinai. Remember, he went up the first time, got the tablets, came down with the tablets of the law, saw the people in pagan worship, threw down and broke the tablets. And God says, I know, I know. Come on back up. Let's do this again. He went up the second time, and we know that at the second time, as Moses was with the Lord, that relationship and that presence of the Lord in his life, it changed the physical appearance of Moses in a dramatic way. In Exodus chapter 34, we read in verse 29, Now it was so when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand when he came down from the mountain, that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him, talked with God. So when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. I believe because he was in the very presence of God, just the very power of the presence of God in his life. As a matter of fact, in Numbers, Numbers chapter 12, the Lord speaking, God speaking here about his relationship with Moses. God said, I spoke with him face to face, even plainly, not in dark sayings, and he sees the form of Jehovah. Moses sees the form of Jehovah. That's a powerful thing. 
Not many people have had that opportunity. Oh, a few, but here the invisible one reveals himself to Moses. The one who is the great I am, the all-sufficient one, showed himself to make his will known to the people that he was calling to himself. So the immortal, the invisible, the almighty one, then uses this simple instrument of clay, Moses the man, to reveal himself. But to Moses... He revealed himself directly. And again, like I said, Moses wasn't the only one. There there were others. Many of the other prophets actually got to see the Lord. We read in Isaiah chapter 6, a very familiar passage to many of us. Isaiah writes that it was in the year that King Uzziah died. And I saw the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Now, some say, well, maybe that was a vision, just a vision, a dream that Isaiah had. I don't believe that it was. I believe that the Lord actually brought Isaiah into his presence at that point in time. Because listen to what Isaiah declares. I said, woe is me, for I am toast. I I am undone. Sorry, my version. Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, Jehovah, the Lord of hosts. We also read where Abraham had audience. We read where Gideon was met. We read where the parents of Samson were met. All of these declared that they had seen the angel of the Lord, but there's some significant differences there. Rather, again, it was the pre-incarnate Christ that they saw. You can argue that point. We can speak of it. It's not a hill that I'm going to die on. They had an experience of seeing the Lord, seeing the Lord at work. Many of these laid out, literally like Gideon said, if you really are the Lord, because the Lord is invisible, this is really of you, then I'm going to put out this fleece and let it be dry today and wet tomorrow. And it was, and it was. There was the parents of Samson that again says, if it really is, we're going to bring out an offering and sacrifice. And boom, the whole thing was brought up in smoke into the heavens. All of these visitations, though, they were for the purpose of God making his plan and his will known to mankind. And again, the invisible one breaking through our barrier of unbelief to reveal himself and his purposes to a lost mankind. But his greatest revelation came, though, when he stepped out of eternity, clothed himself in humanity, and made himself known as a man. Not through another vessel, but God himself coming, taking the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of man. That brings us to our third building block. The third building block is God put on humanity. We read here in John chapter 1, verse 14, how the word became flesh, dwelt among us. But let's pretend for a moment that we're in a vacuum, okay? And all we know is verse 14. We don't know verse 1 and the others that follow. All we know is just verse 14. And let's look at it and listen to it again. John writes, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, if that's all we knew... I think you would still have to agree with me that there is something very special about the Word. I mean, the Word, whatever it was, 
became flesh, or as you and I would say today, became flesh and blood. The word did that, and the word there that's translated W-O-R-D, word, comes from the Greek word logos. Logos, translated, is a word that was significant both for the Jew of the time as well as for the Gentile or the Greek culture of the time. It was a term that was used both in religion and in secular writings of the day. Through the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls, which had an enormous amount of our Old Testament scriptures, including almost every bit of the book of Isaiah, There was also other articles, other writings that they found there, just secular writings, business writings, letters, these kinds of things from the time frame. And in those, we know that for the Jews themselves, they borrowed from the Greek language and the Greek culture in their writings, and they used the word logos whenever they would speak about God. Again, that thought and the idea of who God was. In the Greek mind of that time, the Logos referred to, catch this, the rational principle that supervised and governed the universe. They wouldn't call him God, but it was just a rational principle that supervised and governed the universe. To the Stoics, a group of Greeks of the time. The Logos was the principle of divine reason, which caused the natural creation to grow. It's The Logos is just the reasoning power of whatever divinity there was out there. Philo of Alexandria, he spoke of the Logos as the instrument, catch this, through which the world was created. These are non-believers. These are, these are guys that did not take the Old Testament verses or the prophets of the Old Testament. No, these are pagan non-believers, but yet in their culture, in their writing, they spoke of the Logos as being that by which the world was created. But Philo never thought of the Logos coming as a person. He didn't believe in the pre-existence in the world. As a matter of fact, Philo was pretty dogmatic in his denial of any incarnation of the Logos. But John writes about the Logos here and specifically speaks that it's the Logos that became flesh and dwelt among us. He's writing right to the culture of that time so that they might understand this that they didn't understand, that they might put a direction and a point of that that they had no idea what it was. John says, no, that Logos, that essence, that power, that principle that you're speaking of became flesh. And dwelt among us. And again, in the Greek, that word dwelt, it has the idea of the meaning of setting up a tent. Now, we think of setting up a tent as something temporary. I don't think any of us want to live in a tent all of our lives, okay? It might work out for a day or two camping, but even in my age, I look for, you know, we'll rough it at the Motel 6. But this dwelling among us, this idea of pitching his tent, isn't about the tent so much as it is relationship. He came to pitch his tent next to ours, to dwell among us. This whole idea, not just passing through, but taking up residence with those whom he created. The word logos desires to be among us. He chose to make himself known to us and to be known by us. So now let's step out of that vacuum of just 
verse 14. And listen again to what John writes up in verse 1. In the beginning was the Logos, and the Logos was with God. As a matter of fact, the Logos is God. And you see, John wrote it right to his culture that understood that there was something that was in control. And John saying, no, I'll tell you what it is. The Logos, he was God. Now we get down to verse 14. And the Logos became flesh and dwelt among us. What a neat idea. What a grand concept that is. For a people who understood that there was something, but because of their pagan background, all the pagan influences of their time, they didn't understand. They would not focus or direct their understanding to one God. No, there was a multiple of gods. And John brings in and says, no, here is the main one. He became flesh. He is dwelling with us. God, eternal God, the word with God in eternity past coming together. John tells us very clearly that the word, that the Logos and God were one. The word is not only eternal, but the word is divine in essence, in all of his being, in his completeness, his very person and his personality, divinity. The word was the pre-existing one who became flesh. That brings us now to the fourth building block. In Jesus, God is revealed. In Jesus, God is revealed. Because the Word stepped into that dwelling type of relationship with His creation, we couldn't help but see or to behold His glory. And the more we got to know Him, the greater our relationship grew with Him. We could understand that His glory was as of the only begotten of the Father. In other words, as the Son of the Father. He was just like His Father in the most positive of ways, full of grace and truth. Many of you have been here at times when my son, who is a pastor over in California, has come over and he's filled in for me at different times when he's visiting. The opportunity never goes by, but when he preaches for me, that someone will come up to me and says, your son is just like you. And I say, yes, tall, thin, full head of hair, handsome. I understand exactly. No, that's not what we're saying. He has the same mannerisms. He has the same expressions. He waves his hands like a maniac, just like you do. Expression of the Father. You can see the Father through Jesus. Separate and distinct, the Father and the Son. But the Son was a grand representation of who the Father is. Both God fully but the Son, taking upon Himself human flesh, revealed the Father to us. And the great part of it, full of grace and truth. So divinity took upon Himself humanity, became flesh, became one of us, dwelling with us, separate and distinct from God the Father. And yet, as God the Son, He revealed the glory of the Father in every aspect of His being. Paul tells us in the book of Romans, 
How God had already revealed himself completely to the world through the very existence of the creation that was all around us. So man was without excuse. Remember, Paul writes in Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. He says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and the unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. You catch that? Who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God has been manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. I believe according to God's word, the principle of God's word, that as God creates every breathing human on this planet, that God places within them a knowledge that there is a God. And yet man in his rebellion turns against that knowledge. That's exactly what Paul says here. They suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Paul goes on to write in verse 20, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but they became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Because man turned against the reality of God, their hearts became darkened. Again, we think of the Russian cosmonaut. His heart was darkened toward God to begin with. And now, as God was able to reveal himself in a way that no other man had ever seen, he continued to declare, there is no God. There is no God. So many people continue to do that today. God reveals himself over and over and over in their lives. But there is no God There is no God. Because if there is a God, that means that I'm going to have to stand answerable to him one day. And if there is no God, then that means that I can live my life any way that I desire to live it, at any time that I want to live it. And when I die, I just simply go into dust and I cease to exist. Paul said that professing to be wise, they became fools. And they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. God revealed himself through his creation, but God did even more. God has gone out of his way to reveal himself to all of mankind. He didn't send another representative like the prophets. He didn't send a shadow or a form. He didn't take the Logos and come and bring it upon an existing man or take over or fill a man. No, the Word, the Logos, came in human form. He developed in the womb of his mother Mary, Jesus, the physical revelation of Almighty God. God could have revealed himself in a grand way. Just suddenly with with lightnings and thunders and shakings, I am God, hear me. But God took the humble route. He humbled himself and came as a servant and declared and showed through his servant heart and through his love for mankind the reality of who God is. The Word became flesh, dwelt among us, The Word incarnate is Jesus Christ. In and through Jesus, we see the fullness of the glory of the Father. Paul, again, tells us in Colossians 2.9, 
that the very fullness of the Godhead dwells in Jesus. And as such, he's head over all things, all principalities, and all power. And although he's head over all things, and he's created all things, and all things are held together by his great might, he still reached out to reveal himself to all of humanity. That brings us to the crowning closing of these building blocks. The fact that in Jesus, God's grace was offered to mankind. All that I've shared with you thus far, for many it can be just head knowledge. We can speak about the fact that God's invisible. Oh yeah, I I don't see God. I, I believe there probably is a God, but I don't see him, so I agree with you on that. The fact that God has revealed himself in times past. Well, yes, I I can see that he's probably spoken through prophets or through men like Moses and different ones. and I can understand that. I can see that. Even the fact that Jesus came. There was a real, true human being by the name of Jesus that walked on the earth. I can even believe that. But it really comes to the point of going beyond head knowledge and coming to the reality of the heart knowledge of the grace and the forgiveness that Christ came to give and to deliver to us. You see, within just a couple of days, probably every one of us are going to receive some sort of gift, maybe small, maybe large. It's not the price of the gift, it's the heart of the giver. And how crazy that would be. So if we came up with the gift, said, here, I want to give you this gift because of my great love for you because I care about you so deeply I want to present to you this gift and you were to say to me oh thank you oh thank you so much oh how I appreciate that gift oh and I know that you love me I know that you love me and you take the gift and you set it down back under the tree and I'm waiting for you to open the gift because I'm excited because I know what I got you and it sits there and it sits there and a few days later I come to you and says you know, I offered you a gift, but you haven't taken it yet. I've offered you a gift, and you, you haven't opened it yet. And your response would be, oh, I will. I will, just not now. Not yet. Not yet. And you see, that's the eternal problem of so many people. They understand, perhaps, head knowledge, what the gospel is. They understand head knowledge, What's required? I need to surrender my life to this invisible God. I need to give my future, my plans, everything that I have to this God that is out of control, out of my control. I'm not sure I want to open that gift yet. Thank you for the gift. Thank you for your love. Thank you for the fact that you love me enough to offer the gift. But I'm not quite ready to open it up yet. Beloved, we don't know when the last chance is going to be for any of us man that had been part of this congregation several years ago went in for a fairly simple procedure at the hospital. It's going to be a fairly simple thing. And while he was on the hospital, he had a massive heart attack. While he was at the hospital on the operating table, he had a massive heart attack and they could not bring him back. God's gift of grace is offered in order that whosoever would might know not only the forgiveness of their sin, they might enter into eternal relationship with Almighty God. You see, Christianity isn't about the knowledge. 
isn't about the abundance of knowledge that we have. It's about the relationship. A relationship that's built on a foundation of knowledge and understanding. I'm not talking about blind faith. I'm not talking about belief through ignorance. I'm speaking about considering the reality of the truth of the message of the gospel. And then by faith, coming to a point in your life where you not only accept that gift, you receive it and you're wholly surrendered to it. Surrendering to the reality of Christ in you, the hope of glory. Surrendering to the reality of Christ in you, the hope of eternity. Christ in you, the hope of your sin forgiven, the hope of everlasting relationship with God Almighty. On behalf of Pastor David Landry and the entire production team here at The Open Word, we want to wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. This has been a special edition of The Open Word with Pastor David Landry of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona. To learn more about The Open Word, visit our website at theopenword.com. You can download today's teaching or subscribe to The Open Word Podcast. Subscribing to The Open Word Podcast is the best way to stay up to date with all the latest messages from David. To subscribe, log on to theopenword.com. Click on the podcast option on the homepage or simply search for The Open Word in the iTunes Store. You can also give us a call if you'd like. That number to call is 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Another option to get in touch with us is to send us an email. Our email address is info at theopenword.com. That's info at theopenword.com. When you contact us, please let us know the call letters of the station you heard The Open Word on and how today's broadcast has blessed you. Your feedback helps us know the Lord's direction for this ministry. Once again, you've been listening to The Open Word with Pastor David Landry of Calvary Chapel in Casa Grande, Arizona. And again, we want to wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Mm-hmm.